Good morning. I don't know if Chris mentioned this, but the, the furnace in this part of the building is out. So if there are children here that are, you know, kindergarten and younger, they don't have a classroom this, for this service at least. Hopefully it'll be fixed. But so children, moms, dads, guardians, you are welcome here. I have a three-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, and I can get through this message with screaming bloody murder, okay? <laughs> um, we're glad you guys are here. And other news, <laughs> I heard that Joe Burrow is out for the season. Man, I haven't really, you know, I'm a new uh, football fan. Uh, following the game, but that's pretty unfortunate. Is that kind of just mean we're pretty much not going to the Super Bowl? <laughs> Everyone's heads are like, yes. <laughs> oh, someone said we're not going there anyways. We weren't going anyways. Well, there's that. Well, yeah, miracles do happen. <laughs> Amen. Uh, well, if we've not met before, I'm Jamie. I have the the honor and the privilege of serving on staff here at Vineyard Northwest. Uh, like you heard, I have a couple of kids and also a husband. He is hunting right now. Um, if you didn't know, yesterday was rifle season opening day for deer hunting. So he and his brothers and actually Wilson Cochran, Luke is, one of my, is my husband, not one of my husbands. He is my husband. <laughs> He is one of the executive pastors here with Wilson. They are hunting together. Um, they pastor together. They hunt together. They do a lot together. So we have been in an identity series called Identity Crisis. This is the third week. So in case you missed the first two, I'll give you guys just a brief recap. And this is just going to be kind of key information that you need to know in order to track with my message today. So let me be clear. My recap does not mean you do not need to go back and listen to those messages because those messages were incredible. Van gave the first message where he laid out the foundation of the theology behind our new identities in Christ, our old natures, our new natures. He talked about how our nature, our identity relates to our origin. In other words, our identity is not where we are from, but it's what we are from. How what we as do as human, what we do as humans is a result of who we are at our core. And because of our new identity, there is more of God in us than us in us. Let me say that again. There, because of our new identity, there is more of God in us than us in us. So that means that who I am at the core is more drawn to the things of God, is more drawn to the character and nature. Who I am is full, more full of the character and nature of God than anything else inside of me and you. He talked about how because of that transformation that happened inside of us, we have everything we need inside of us to reflect the transformation on the outside of us. So every, we have everything we need on the inside of us to reflect the transformation on the outside of us. 
in our behavior, in our words, in our relationships. And a key point of Van's message, and I think Nick hit on this too, was that Jesus, the person of Jesus, when he walked here on earth, was humanity as it was meant to be. The life of Jesus, who he was, how he walked this earth, the power, the anointing, the relational aspects of his life, his words, everything he did was how God intended us as humans to operate here on earth. So the life of Jesus is really important for us to know about. And then Nick came week two, he hit home how as new creations, you know, Sometimes we have old habits that don't really reflect our new creation-ness, okay? He talked about how our, we are not our thoughts, we are not our feelings, we are not even our actions. No matter what we say, no matter what we do, no matter how we feel, it does not change our righteousness and we can never fall outside of the grace of God. Our righteousness can never be stripped from us. And then he's talked about how we can renew our minds to kind of line up with this new identity that we have in Jesus as new creations. He talked about how we can renew our minds so that it aligns with who we actually are. He gave us a lot of tools. You know, he talked about how, you know, you took Israel out of Egypt, but Egypt was still inside of Israel. And how we can get out of these old ways of thinking so that we can walk in the fullness of everything that God has for us. And then that brings us to week three, which I, my, the title of my message today is Relationships in Light of Our New Identity. So Relationships in Light of Our New Identity. The key thing that I want you all to get out of this message today is that how we do relationships must fundamentally change when we become new creations. How we do relationships must fundamentally change when we become new creations. Just like so many other things in our life, when we make a change, it can, easy to fall, it can be easy to fall into old habits and to continue into old habits. It can be easy to continue doing relationships out of our old identities, our old nature, who we were before we became followers of Jesus, rather than who we are now. Because the truth is, who we were before is not recoverable. Who we were before we knew Jesus is not recoverable. That also means, good news, who you were before you knew Jesus in all of your relationships is also not recoverable. The dysfunction, the, the, everything that maybe took place in your relationships, the, you are a completely different person now. That's good news, right? Because everything we do in life is relationships. You can't get away from relationships unless you're a hermit and you just, you know, shut your peop yourself off from people and never go into the outside world. Even then, you're, like, stuck with yourself and with God, right? Like, or the voices in your head. Like, you are, we are so, a relationship is ingrained so deeply inside of us. We can't get away from it. This is life-changing, relationship-changing good news. So I want to tell you guys a story about me as a youth group girl. I think I was probably 12 years old. I, we, I, I lived in Florida. I was from, I'm from Florida. So we were going to a freshwater springs on like a youth group trip. 
And I remember I brought these new pair, I don't know, during this time, like, board shorts were really popular in my, like, kind of crew. So I brought these new pair of billabong board shorts with me. I was so excited to use them in the, when, you know, when we were tubing and stuff. And all of a sudden, they just disappeared, and I couldn't find them. And I was so distraught. I told one of the youth leaders, I was just, like, looking for it. And he, like, went to great lengths to help me find these board shorts. I mean, we, he went dumpster diving for me, okay? He went into this dumpster, and he was like, I wonder if they could have ended up in the trash bags. And I was just, I was sitting there, you know, so we kind of, this was like the end of the search. We were just like standing there. It was me and my youth leader, my youth pastor at the time. And I was standing there kind of shocked and kind of um, like shy like, wow, he went to such great lengths to look for these boards. We didn't find them, but he went to great lengths. Like, it was, I was shocked and kind of just um, shy about how much time and effort he had given to me to find these shorts. I was like, you, you really, like, did a lot of work. And my personality at the time, I was friendly, but I was also, like, just a little bit reserved, you know, especially when it came to, like, I don't know, men who were, like, 30 years older than me. <laughs> like, you know, it was just like, hi, thank you, I pre-, you know. But I was just very quiet. I actually didn't say thank you, but I was feeling very thankful, really. But I was being very quiet and reserved. Maybe I could have been standing there with my arms crossed, just like, wow, you really did a lot for me. And my youth pastor looks at me, and I, he says, you know, Jamie, I don't appreciate your attitude right now. I don't want to, you are being so ungrateful for this, you know, I forget his name. He has been, he has just been going to, going through a lot of work to help you find these shorts. And I was just like a deer in headlights, like, what do you mean? Like attitude, ungratefulness. I didn't say anything back because I, I mean, what do you say to that when you're just like, that is 100% wrong of how I'm actually feeling on the inside. I was just like, man, I didn't realize that you could pick up on that message from me standing here and just being quiet. And I found myself, that was kind of that interaction with that relationship in my life at the time taught me a new relationship skill, right? The relationship skill that I learned was you never know how people are going to interpret your body language and your actions. So you better go to great lengths to make sure that they don't misinterpret and they actually hear what you're saying and they know how you feel. And this is a relationship skill that I carried on into my adulthood, into my relationships, even after I had become a serious follower of Jesus. Even after I was like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, really become an apprentice. I, I, and this is something that, this kind of is a story that came to mind when I thought about how experiences and skills that we learn in our childhood or in our pre-Jesus days, 
how these habits and these skills that we learn can carry on into, because I found myself as an adult constantly insecure about what other people were thinking about me. I was like, oh man, they did something really nice for me. I said, thank you. Do they really think I'm thankful? What else should I do to make sure they know I'm thankful? You know, or like I make a mistake, I only, you know, like, I, I did something to hurt someone, and I, you know, man, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to. I walk away from the interaction. Do they believe me? Do they believe that I'm sorry that I hurt them? It's a, it was a habit that was, that was created in me that I didn't really ask for, but it was there. So that's why today I want to talk about just our new identities, and how we can carry this new creation into our relationships. So we're going to just turn to your, if you guys will, turn to your Bibles in 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is not going to be on the screen, so if you actually do have a Bible, you, can, you probably want to do that. It's just one, one scripture. It'll be pretty quick. But while you guys turn there, I'm just going to pray. Jesus, may we forever be transformed by your teachings and by your presence. I ask that your spirit would fill me and fill us to overflowing. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Second Corinthians 517. It's a popular passage. You might know it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. This, the thing I want to highlight here is this person is a new creation. So what's not to love about this verse, right? <laughs> I love the simplicity of it. Once you become a follower of Jesus, once you place your faith in him, there is a transformation that happens inside of us that isn't something you work for and it isn't something that you earn. And this verse is a cornerstone to understanding our new creation identity. So anytime you're feeling like, man, have I changed? Have I even changed? You, you know how you like fall into old habits or you, you make a mistake or you commit a sin and you're just like, man, have I even changed? You have. Because this verse says, this person is a new creation. So you're asking me, Jamie, why are we going to talk about relationships and why they should fundamentally change after we become new creations in an identity series? I know it's maybe a little bit unique. It's because relationship is the foundation of humanity. It's actually why we were created to begin with, right? That's why God made Eve. Because she was like, I think Adam, he needs, a, he needs a buddy. It's not good for man to be alone, right? And if you read, actually, this is a cool thing that 
um, Putty Putman, who is just a friend of our, our church. He's a lot, much more than a friend, but that's how I'll describe him, because relationships, right? He's a friend. Um, the next time you read Genesis 1 and 2, I want you to pay special attention to Jesus' words when he, in the creation story, okay? I encourage you to, spe- to, to pay special attention to the differences between how the animals and the land and the water came to be and how humanity was formed. Because it's a little bit different. You'll notice that when God made man, it was more intimate than anything else, than everything else that was created. He kind of, it was a little bit more relational or mindful. You know, it says that let us make mankind in our image. And in our image, like, let's make him like us, right? Like, that's also a relational thing. Like, so relationships, it's a big deal. You'll notice that if you're, if you find yourself in a rut in your relationship, it's often because we're acting out of our old identity in some area, right? So today, I'm just going to talk about three ways that new creation people are meant to do relationships. There are so many other ways, so many other ways. (laughs) I don't have a whole lot of time today, so we're just going to talk about three. I only have about 30 more minutes, so... The first one that we're going to talk about is how new creation people choose the most generous interpretation in relationships. New creation people choose the most generous interpretation in relationships. Another more common way you've probably heard this talked about is called offering others the benefit of the doubt. I actually learned the term most generous interpretation from a parenting book that I read a while back. I didn't finish it, but, you know, I'm still reading it. It takes me a long time to finish books. I tend to read three at a time, and I have kids, so, yeah. But she talks about, this is an awesome book. Um, It's called Good Inside by Dr. Becky Kennedy. Just a little thing in there. But she just talks about how the most generous interpretation gives the person who is interpreting the actions or the words more empathy for the person that they're interacting with. It offers, it gives them, it helps their body even just relax a little bit. Like, oh, wow, you just slapped me in the face. (laughs) Like, my most generous interpretation right now is that it, it was a tick and it was uncontrollable, and you don't know how it happened. And you're really sorry. (laughs) My most generous interpretation, when I have that thought go through my mind, my body immediately relaxes and says, I don't have to retaliate right now. Are you okay? (laughs) Are you okay? Let's read, um, it's not gonna be on the screen. I'll just read it. 1 Corinthians 13.7. This is in the NASB. It's a classic. So, you know, here we go. We're going to probably start in verse 6. You know, it talks about love is this, love is that, love does not do this, love does not do that. And then we get to verse 6. Love, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Verse 7. 
It keeps every confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It keeps every confidence. It believes all things. This is the key point I want to highlight here. It believes all things. Here, Paul is describing to the church in Corinth what their regard for one another ought to look like. When he says, love believes all things, it's pretty undisputed that it, that it just means to assume the best in others, to offer your most generous interpretation of their words or their actions. As new creations, new identities, carrying God's heart, we don't get to make cynical assumptions about people's character, their life, or who they are. That's a part of who we used to be. That's a character trait of the enemy. And you know how God looks at us? This is how we know that this is, the, this is how we are to operate. God looks at us in all of our mess, all of our mistakes, our imperfections, and chooses to treat us the same way that he thinks about us, as his righteous sons and daughters. And some of you guys might be wondering, what about people who are not Christians? How does God treat and think of them? You know, terrorists, you know, people who are just like doing bad, like thieves, thieves, you know, like people who are like pimps, you know, like what are these people doing? And like, but let me tell you, scripture tells us that God is a compassionate and gracious God. He is slow to anger and abounding in love. And his character and his nature are not reserved to those who have said yes to him. And neither should ours. So it's my job, it's our job, to offer our most generous interpretation of people because then that opens the door to more relationship and more transformation in your life and in their life. An example of this, I don't know if anyone here has Netflix, but they started this new like thing where you turn on Netflix to turn your show on and this involuntary like show promotion comes on. And it just like starts running the reel. And like if, you, if your sound is on, you hear it. And it's just like so intrusive. I hate it. <laughs> I'm just like, I did not ask for this. Go away. Uh, please be silent. But I would turn my show on and I would go to look for, you know, the Great British Baking Show. And <laughs> I highly recommend. And for several weeks in a row, when I would turn on Netflix, the David Beckham documentary would pop up, and it was just the, in this involuntary reel of promotion, and I was so annoyed. I was like, go away, David Beckham. But one time, I like kept watching it. I was like, okay, you got me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch this ad and see what this David Beckham documentary is about. I think I maybe even started it a little bit. And it's... It comes to a scene where David Beckham is like learning that Posh Spice is at one of his soccer games or football games. Um, and he was like, and then it fast forwards to saying, I told, I said I was going to marry that girl. 
and anyways, so I started making all these assumptions about David Beckham. I thought to myself, like, man, this guy seems smug. Like, he just seems prideful. Like, he's just going to, like, he thinks he is just, like, the coolest thing since sliced bread. Like, I don't want to watch your show. Are you kidding me? Well, I did watch the show. I know, I know. I watched the show, and by the end of it, I looked at, I, you know, I told Luke, because he didn't watch it, and I was like, listen, I'm going to watch this again, because I want you to watch it too. So I watched this show twice. I liked it so much, the documentary twice, and I really admire and respect David Beckham. I was so wrong about him. Can you imagine being in a stadium of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people booing you as you're on the field trying to play a soccer game and not quitting? He didn't quit. This guy did not quit. I mean, he, he had some mistakes in there. He didn't quit. And the assumption that I made about him when I was watching that Netflix ad could not have been farther from the truth of who was portrayed in the documentary by the end of it. I was wrong. I did not give David Beckham of current Miami, Florida, the benefit of the doubt, the, my most generous interpretation when I was watching it. And I was wrong. And that, you know, was a little bit embarrassing. And it kind of, you know, even though this was not as closely relational to someone that I interact with every day, that's like a check in my spirit, right? Like, hmm, if I make such easy assumptions about people that I don't know, what about the people that I interact with every day? So new creation people choose the most generous interpretation in relationships. Number two, new creation people put the interest of others first in relationships. New creation people put the interest of others first in relationships. My small caveat is here is boundaries are healthy and important. Learn what they are. But there is a message in the Bible that says put the interests of others first above your own. In Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28, you guys can... Turn there. I know I'm moving quick when I, I don't give you as much, because they're usually on the screen, but I didn't have time to give them my, uh, my uh, scriptures. So Matthew 20, 25 through 20, 28, I'm going to be reading in the NIV, starting in verse 25. Jesus called them together, the disciples, and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus here is teaching the disciples how to think like a born-again people. He says, not to worry about how much power or influence you can have, you know, because they're, they're kind of like a crew at this point, you know, like, oh, we're a, we're a crew of 12, we've got Jesus, he's powerful. 
man, he is going against the grain. He's stirring up trouble. And Jesus is saying, hey, don't let it go to your head. We're here to serve. I'm here to serve, and I'm the king. So new creation people think the way God thinks and that they are here to serve. And one thing I want to say is putting other people first in relationships is not easy, and it typically takes a lot of sacrifice, right? When you have, you know, Luke, Luke and I have like a, a spending money budget in our line items and our every dollar app helps us manage our money. We each get a certain amount of money each month to do something fun with, you know, when we have time. And, you know, we'll, we'll slowly start to see that, like, money go down. Mine usually goes down first because... I like to do things. <laughs> and there'll be, there'll be something that comes up that I'm like, man, I, that sounds so fun. I would love to go get coffee with so-and-so. But, you know, coffee comes out of my fun money, and I'm out of it. And Luke is always so gracious and says, you can have some of mine. And it's like, that is, that is putting the interest of me above himself, right? Because he, he likes to buy you know, fancy bourbon and, you know, nice cigars. And <laughs> he does other things than smoke cigars and drink bourbon. But <laughs> those are the first two things that came to mind. <sighs> when we put the interests of others first in relationships, we are having the mind of Christ. And we are operating in our new creation identity. Because even if you look at the entire narrative of the Bible, it proves this to be true. Jesus is constantly, God sent his son because we like, we kind of messed up already in the garden. And God's like, you know, I'll sacrifice my son. I'll put your interest above my son. I'll let him come and suffer and die so that you can be made righteous again. He put my interest above his son's interests. That is a new creation way of thinking. And some of you may be able to relate when I say, I love to give gifts. Giving gifts is kind of it's just like a very joyful thing for me. It's kind of embarrassing. Like, I'll buy a gift for someone, and I'll shoot them a text or in person be like, I can't wait to give you the gift I gave you. Do you just want me to tell you what it is? <laughs> can I give it to you now? <laughs> like, can, and this is just, I, you know, for those of you who can really relate to that, this is just a small example, another small example of our new creation identity. We are more drawn to give away than to take. Who we are at our core is more drawn to give it away, to put others first, than to receive. And if you're someone who likes to receive gifts more than to give them away, take note of this point and renew your mind. The third way that new creation people do relationships is new creation people choose emotional vulnerability in relationships. 
Relational people choose emotional vulnerability in relationships. Emotional vulnerability in relationships is when you process emotions and articulate feelings with others. That is just a very simple definition. When you process emotions and articulate feelings with others. So our old natures, who we were before, tells us to protect ourselves and to hide, right? It tells us the lie that vulnerability in relationships is for the weak. It tells us that it's optional, just when I'm feeling like it, right? Just when it's a good idea. I don't have to if I don't want to. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they hid, right? They hid themselves. They hid, they hid from, them, from each other. They hid from God. And, they, and when God said, hey, what happened? They didn't want to be honest and vulnerable about what happened, right? They wanted to lie about it. They wanted to blame each other for it. This is the opposite of vulnerability. The opposite of vulnerability is self-protectedness, protectiveness. It's disconnectedness. And sometimes it's defensiveness. When you avoid a vulnerability in your relationships, you are essentially fictionalizing your life to them. Let me say that again. When you avoid vulnerability in your relationships, you are essentially fictionalizing your life to them. You're not being honest about what's going on in the inside. And that is what is most important because we are not defined by what we do and what we see. We are defined by what's on the inside of us. And this brings me to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm going to be reading from Matthew 26. Verses 36 through 39 in the NIV. I'll give you guys a second to turn there. So Matthew 26, verses 36 through 39. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. So the night before he went to the cross, Jesus went to this garden with his disciples. He brings three of what we can assume are his closest disciples to a more private area of the garden. And it says he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He began to be. Or in other words, he started to intentionally feel his feelings in the midst of these closest friends or his community. He began to feel, he intentionally started feeling his feelings with his three closest comrades. Then he says, I feel as if I could die from the amount of overwhelm I feel. I need you with me. Jesus here is, is 
demonstrating for us vulnerability at its finest, right? Healthy vulnerability. He told his disciples, I feel so sorrowful and overwhelmed. I feel like I could die. And then he falls on his face. <laughs> like, can you imagine doing that, like, in front of anyone, <laughs> even? And please hear me when I say that. I'm going to hold off on that point. This brings me back to the truth that Jesus came and lived a life of example for us. Who he was while he was on earth is God's intent for us as his new creations. So if Jesus was, humanity, was God's intent for humanity on earth and we see him intentionally, I believe it was intentional, he could have gone over by himself without his friends and experienced these emotions and these feelings. He could have gone to a more private area, a garden. People probably take walks in a garden, right? He could have gone anywhere, but he was like, you three, with me, I need to sit here and be vulnerable and tell you how I'm feeling and feel my feelings. It's the way we were designed. And please hear me when I say that vulnerability in our relationships is not just a good idea that therapists recommend. It's not, it's not just a good idea that's for some people, but not for everyone. Choosing vulnerability is the way of Jesus in our relationships. It's the way that God has intended us to be in our new creation selves. So we're going to do a little bit of, we have about nine minutes left. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about a little bit of um, practical application here. Let's see if I have it. Oh, good. You know, I wish I would have thought about this in time to get a slide up, but I didn't. But you guys, this is pretty simple. There's a book called Connection Codes. It's a relationship book. I don't think that it's like explicitly Christian, but it could be written by Christian authors. I don't know. It's great, though. Some of the language you have to, anyways, I'm not going to explain the book other than this part of what I'm about to tell you. There's Luke recently, my husband, Luke, recently read this entire book. I have not read it. But someone told me recently when your spouse reads it and they talk about it with you, it's kind of like you read it too. <laughs> it's kind of like being a part of a book club, you know? I'm just like, <laughs> you get all the highlights, the most important spot, stuff, but you could just skip the fluff, right? That's how I feel. <laughs> so there's a, there's, a, there's a practice in this book that he and I started doing you know, several times a week called the core emotion wheel. Now, my practical application today is specifically about vulnerability and feeling our feelings and our emotions because that's what I felt like God was, the Holy Spirit was breathing on today. So the core emotion wheel activity, you guys are actually gonna get one of these before you leave, like on your way out of the doors today, this paper. It has, I know, I'm sorry if you have bad eyes, but it's just a wheel, and it has seven core emotions according to psychologists and studies. These are the seven core emotions, and on the back, it gives you instructions. So if you forget everything I say right now, don't worry. It's right here. So, but basically, I'll just give you a brief explanation of it. 
you sit down. It doesn't have to be with your spouse. It does not have to be with a spouse. This, if you are single, if you are divorced, if you are widowed, if you are 12, you can do this. I would encourage you to do it with your 12-year-old. Honestly, to have this kind of emotional awareness of your emotions, oh my gosh. Okay, anyways. <laughs> what you do is you sit down with someone, a friend, a therapist, a friend, a stranger, whatever, someone, and you take four minutes and you go through all the core emotions and you tell the person in front of you the last time you experienced that emotion. So we've got lonely, sad, hurt, joy, anger, shame, guilt, fear. I know a lot of them are like not super positive. Humanity, right? We are, we, are bec we are learning to live out our new creation selves. Anyways, but emotions are healthy. It's good. Um, example, we sit down. All right, my turn to go through the emotions. Okay, I'll start with whichever one I want, joy. You know, I felt joy this morning when my friend showed me a special shirt that she wore for me because I was preaching this morning. It brought me a lot of joy and it made me laugh. Next emotion, anger. Maybe I won't tell you guys that one. <laughs> lonely. The last time I felt lonely was probably yesterday morning when Luke was hunting on opening day, and we usually have breakfast together as a family, and he wasn't there. I felt a little bit lonely. It's easy. It takes you 20 seconds, but it gets easier the more you do it because you really have to sit and think about, man, did I feel lonely today? And you have to be able to, it helps you build skills for putting names to emotions and becoming more emotionally aware of who you are. And it's a vulnerable thing to do. I mean, I guess I could have demonstrated vulnerability for you to just now by telling you when the last time I was angry, but I shared, you, I shared a pretty vulnerable story with you guys earlier, so. You sit down and you just go through these emotions and this helps build our muscles for becoming new creation vulnerable people with someone else. I think I did that pretty well. There's more detailed um, instructions, but the key thing is for the person listening to only, ooh, you don't respond. You don't, you don't like respond like with a fix it or like, oh, I'm so sorry. You just say, hmm. Hmm, oh, wow. And that helps the person who is being vulnerable feel safe. Like you're not gonna try to like fix them or you're not gonna like be upset by something they said. So I challenge you guys to do this once a week with someone. It can be your neighbor. Are you friends with your neighbor? It could be with anyone. So. You guys will get those on your way out. Thank you, Justin. At the doors, you'll get one of those. Will you guys stand with me?
When we allow our new identity to fundamentally change the way we do relationships, we acquire a literal, supernatural superpower to advocate and bless our relation, the relationships in our lives. A supernatural superpower. So I just want to bless you guys right now. And if you're experiencing shame about your relationships, I want to encourage you to come down front when the prayer teams come down and get some prayer. Because I hear, I hear the Lord saying to you, two things are, can be true, right? Two things can be true. You can be a new creation, and you can also have messy relationships. Those two things can be true. And the third truth is we can make those changes to make them more like to reflect our new identities. So I'm going to pray. Do whatever you like to do to receive from the Holy Spirit. I just believe he is going to drop some supernatural grace on us this morning. So Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us. Thank you for the gift of relationship with you. May we always come back to you, Jesus. May we always come back to our relationship with you in the midst of it all to help remind us who we are, to remind us of our new identities. Thank you that you are giving us everything we need to be transformed on the outside in order to reflect the transformation on the inside in our relationships, of all shapes and forms. We love you, we worship you, in Jesus' name, amen.